and we're live with our 220th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on X, formerly known as Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on X. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're super excited today to have Eric with us from Include Security. Um, we'll be doing introductions shortly once we kind of get through the, uh, the normal introductions and the normal announcements. Um, as far as um, courses and everything else that's going, um, we did find out that DEF CON has been postponed. The training's in Bellevue, if you have not heard. Um, we're not quite sure when they are going to resurface. Um, so if you are interested in practical secure code review, please reach out. We'll notify you when the next open course will be. Um, looks like uh, there's a couple of different conferences early in the year, whether it's CactusCon or back to KernelCon. Both of those will be on the calendar for us. Maybe from a training perspective, we're, we're talking to the organizers now. Um, so we're not sure if there is going to be anything this fall. There still might be something in the fall winter timeframe. Anyway, watch the Slack channel if you are looking for that. Otherwise, Ken and I will be at LastCon in a couple of weeks um, and would love to catch up if you will be there. I will also be at SatanCon, uh, which is local to me here in Salt Lake City, and we'll be helping run the AppSec community there. So come get involved if you're listening and you want to talk. Um, yeah, Ken, am I forgetting anything else? Oh, you're, you're going to also be at Global AppSec DC, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. August or August, October 30th and 31st. Yeah, for okay. sure. Yep. And uh, just an update for the winners of our competition. I finally got everything together. Um, so my lovely wife is actually going to mail everything out tomorrow and then we'll get you some. Uh, I'll send emails with links, tracking links for all, for all the, the stuff that we're sending. Um, but besides that, yeah, and and look for a we're going to blog post and that works with Sectim about that event. So there's more to come there, I think. But uh, we'll we'll keep the rest of that hush hush for now. Yeah, it was an interesting. I mean, it, uh, the Sectim platform is pretty interesting. Um, Ken and I, I like I quite I quite enjoyed digging into it. So check it out if you have not done it up to this point. And just a reminder, we have no like uh, we don't take sponsorship from Sectim. We have no kind of like official partnership. All it is is that. Seth and I have tried to build that platform before uh, and he did it really, really well and, uh, or they did it really, really well. And uh, we really, really believe in it. So that kind of style of training. So anyways, all right, back to you, Seth, you want to do introductions or should I? Sweet. I you know, would go for it. Right. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> either way, Sweet. go for it. Oh, no, no, no. I thought you were going to, I, I, I would oh. put it on you, Seth. Okay. All right. Well, with that, right? Apparently, we're uh, you know we're having miscommunications today. That's how it's going. Awesome. So, with that, I would like to in, uh, welcome Eric Cabetas from Include Security to the podcast today. Eric has been an active uh, participant in Slack for a couple of years. Um, I know we've talked about having you on the podcast multiple times, and I'm glad that it's finally come to fruition. Um, that's probably more on us from a scheduling perspective than, than you, Eric, to be, honest, no worries. To be quite honest. But um, yeah, we just, you know, we're super interested to talk to you, especially about like include security. I know you're based in, you know, uh, you know, New York um, and how that got started. But um, yeah, like to, to kick it off, right. Welcome. And, you know, give us a little background about yourself and what you've yeah, how you came to be in security. Sure. Um, long stories that I'll try and keep brief as possible. Uh, so okay. we, we only have an hour, Eric. So, you know, like... <laughs> Excellent. Um, I guess I'll start with myself first. Uh, I got into computer security and just computers overall while, while I was in college. Uh, I went to the University of Florida for material science, polymer engineering, and along the way, um, I had a couple of very serendipitous things happen, uh, like my Windows 95 computer got hacked. So I went to school in the 90s, uh, went to college in the 90s. Uh, my computer got hacked and I was just like, how did this happen? Uh, I don't understand how this happened. I don't understand anything about computers. Um, so that that was a huge 
part of my path to uh, to where I am today because um, I just wanted to understand what was going on. In hindsight, it was super simple, super trivial. Uh, my roommate, who is uh, not a good person, uh, put a <laughs> back orifice uh, back door on there. Um, so if everybody remembers BO2K put out by Cult of the Dead Cow, it was mm -hmm. uh, he, he basically installed that uh, with a CD, double clicked it, ran it, and then just uh, compromised my system. But it was a couple of years until I realized that and, and had enough knowledge to actually know that. Um, but long story short, uh, wanted to figure out Windows, taught myself everything about Windows that I could, and then realized that there were operating systems, taught myself Linux, found Linux, did that, found programming, taught myself programming, C and Perl and Shell Scripts were kind of my, my first three um, okay. back around 98, 99. Mm -hmm. And then just you know searching for interesting things uh I, I literally did the how to hack uh, you know like before google alta vista how to hack uh <laughs> find find a bunch of uh text files or t files as we call them um join some ircs and join some groups and uh started getting into security research uh one thing led to another found a really great crew of folks uh we played defcon ctf in 2003 we won that and just kind of my my career and everything progressed from there. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time as that was all unfolding on the professional side, I started getting positions like uh, I worked on the Microsoft IIS 6 team, which was the first team at Microsoft to implement like a secure SDLC. Um, so I worked there 2000 or 2001, I forgot when it was. Um, but yeah, I, they, I was writing a fuzzer test for the uh, SSL uh, TLS three stack, um, nice. back then. And yeah, uh, have many roles. Uh, I've done a lot of consulting in my career. I've done some, uh, worked at a product company, Fortify software, uh, you know, mm -hmm. which is SAST. Um, I was director of security. So I did blue team stuff and ran a security team for three years. So I've kind of pivoted around and done kind of some of the, the main, the product side, the consulting side on the offense and the defensive corporate side. Uh, you, a lot of, I think that's kind of the, the main trifecta of, of the industry. Uh, there's sure there's many other angles like the government contracting and the academic side and, and all that. But um, uh, and then include sec, the story behind that is my, my last role. It was towards the end of 2010 and okay. I was uh, running a security team. One of the things that I did in 2010 was uh, I did an RFP out to 12 different security consulting companies and uh, just had kind of strict requirements because I knew what I was looking for. And I was just very dis disenchanted with the entire security consulting process. I was just like, man, everybody screws this up. Like the salespeople suck. Uh, the project management sucks. The consultants are mediocre. Uh, why is everything on site and costs extra money? Um, so I... That company uh, was called theladders.com. It was kind of like an earlier version of LinkedIn uh, for 100 mm -hmm. k and up jobs. That company was kind of winding up. Uh, everybody was leaving and the company was kind of imploding. And I was just like, listen, uh, I'm going to go start my my own uh, consultancy because I think I can do this offensive stuff better. And I, me personally, I just really love running offensive teams. So okay. um told my CEO, Hey, I'm going to go start a company. He's like, we want to be your first client. And I thought, cause I worked previously at Ernst and Young and did a lot of consulting for financial services. I thought we were going to cater primarily to the New York city financial services market where I had connections at UBS, Goldman, Morgan, all these companies mm -hmm. here in New York. Um, but then, you know, the startup I was at was like, Hey, we'll hire you. And then a lot of people at the startup I was at all left around the same time to go to a bunch of other startups. A lot of them moved to the West coast. So all of a sudden I'm trying to sell into all these financial services as a one person company at the time, all the financial services companies are telling me to go take a hike because I'm a one person yeah. company. They don't want to talk to us. Um, but all the startups that my friends are joining, they're like, yeah, yeah, we absolutely need your services. So Silicon Valley just kind of caught on. And uh, ever since then, probably 80% of our clients are West Coast tech companies, even though our headquarters is in New York City. And hey, yeah. And any anymore, does it, yeah, does it really matter, right? Like where we're located? And to your point, <laughs> yeah. right? Like about uh, going on site. But 
Yeah. And that was something we wanted to do early on because I did a lot of high travel consulting and it was really, really hard to maintain a high quality of life uh, on a personal level. Um, just maintain relationships. Uh, just, oh, I, I need to move apartments. Yeah, good luck. You're, you're going to Minnesota. Now you're going to Toronto. Now you're going to LA, like move apartments yeah. in between that. So uh, Include Security from the start has been a no travel consulting company. So we started January, 2011. Um, or I should say a very low travel. So since 2011, in our entire company history, we've probably done less than 10 weeks of onsite. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? Like I, I know, well, I, you know, Ken and I, obviously like we were, you know, when we first met, we were both at the fishnet right at the time. And um, yeah, some of the offensive stuff, especially, right. Like I remember having, you know, three, four month blocks where I was on the road every single week. Right. And I was just like, what, what are we doing here? You know, and why do you need me to come sit in a conference room and not even talk to the client? Right. Ken, like we, you know, yeah. we, we've had that experience so we could be like in the vicinity in case we needed to meet someone face to face, I guess. Um, but the or amount of cost that goes into that, right. Is a freezing is cold server room. Have you ever been stuck yeah. in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I mean, the industry's come a long ways. I mean, definitely like pandemic pushed that a lot for other people outside of the consulting space as well. Um, but I, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive that you've done that since, since 2011. Like, I, you know, I think about my own career, like I've been remote for years and years, but there has been those, again, those, you've got to be a consultant and go on the, on the road for you know months at a time. And that's just never fun. Right. Um, but and you know personally though like I I, I do want to you know dig back a little bit into your career as well right some of the stuff you did like the fuzz testing super interesting to me because I still don't see a lot of that done from a you know a client perspective I do have a couple clients that'll run that sort of thing um, obviously like Microsoft is probably one of those places where that is more encouraged right and I know Ken like GitHub was as well like doing some more like heavy heavy level security testing, fuzz testing. Um, but, you know, where you saw that at Microsoft, like what has been your experience as you've moved into like consulting with um, startups and other places? Are you seeing that same level of testing? Is that what you're encouraging like your consultants to do from an offensive perspective? Just, you know, kind of connect those dots for me. Sure. Um, yeah, happy to explain kind of, you know, over the last 12 years, we've we've done work with over 325 clients and um, a lot of startups, but also mid-market and enterprise. So kind of seen a, a bit of what people large and small are interested in um, and, and also what the industry kind of demands. Uh, but touching on, on the Microsoft point, um, I think somebody had just done the first talk ever about fuzzing that year. Uh, so it was kind of like on people's minds. Um, so somebody on my team said... Um, Hey, uh, we have the, the SSL stack and maybe you can use this like fuzz technology concept to, to do something like that. And nothing was even released. I'm not even sure spike from immunity was uh-huh. even, even released was out. Yeah. Yeah. But basically it was a very, very rudimentary thing. Um, I just basically did the equivalent of pipe dev random into a okay. stream and yeah. it was very rudimentary. Well- yeah, well, and that was going to be my question, right? Like, because if you're if you were talking early two thousands, that was not a like I think about some of the fuzz tools and what exists nowadays, and that just there there wasn't a lot available at that time. Even though I, well, you know, okay, so now I'm dating myself. Like, I'm going back to like academic papers, right? Remembering reading some of that from a QA testing perspective, like edge case testing. And I mean, which it fa- all falls in. So it was, fault it was interesting testing. Yes. Fault injection testing. Yep. All of that. Like, and then on top of that, like a, you know, test driven development types scenario where you're building those before you actually code. Um, so what was your success like there at um, like, how did it perform? You know, what was the, Oh, I, it, I, mean, it, I, I think yeah. I found like one bug because it was so rudimentary. It, it okay. Just, I, all I did was like open the, uh, I think I just did like the SSL hello. Uh, and then like the uh-huh. next, the next payload was just like a random thing uh, after random the stuff. first, after the first like SSL hello packet. 
So okay. Cool. That that was that was not a, a very big thing. Uh, nowadays, we have uh, obviously a lot more. There's tons of commercial frameworks. There's tons of open source frameworks. There's some proprietary frameworks. Um, but I find that uh, the companies that do do it uh, are quite often using lib libfuzzer. Uh, that's yep. that's one of the big biggest ones we see out there, um, and we do uh, get requests for it. Uh, it's not. It doesn't come, the demand for fuzzing and that kind of coverage is not coming from your typical web application clients uh, or startups. It's just not coming from that sector. It's coming from people who work on system software. So we've yeah. got, uh, this year we did a project where one of our clients is making, they're a, a top five automobile manufacturer in the world. They're making a new operating system for their vehicles and they're like, hey, we want you to fuzz every system call, every user land library call. Um, and they had already started using libfuzzer and had a couple uh, of these harnesses done as a proof of concept that they needed to come in us. Uh, they needed us to come in and do the heavy lifting. Like, hey, here's a list of all of our system calls. Here's a list of all of our user land primary library calls. Um, can you look at them, sp spend a couple days to look at them, understand where our biggest attack surface areas are um, and then use, it was a pretty big project. We had three or four people work on it, uh, for a couple months and they basically pr helped us prioritize. We helped them and they helped us prioritize in that time frame. We had kind of like this certain time frame, as many fuzz cases as we can. And we found hundreds yeah. of crashes with that. So that mm -hmm. was very effective. Um, so modern fuzzing for system software can be very effective. It's just currently very time intensive because you have to go yep. into the source code. You have to instrument this call, run this thing. Um, I think AI is going to do a lot to push that forward. Um, instrumenting things and writing fuzzer harnesses is something that is not trivial, but is easy uh, for AI to automate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. Like one of the, actually that was one of the talks at DEF CON. There was a talk on, you know, using AI to instrument fuzzing against um, like common open source libraries, right? Like, you know, but I think that uh, one was and some of the other, yeah. That one wasn't writing fuzz, custom fuzzing harnesses, but it was uh, like, was it the command line uh, tool one? Uh, no, here, I'll, I'll pull it up. I've got oh, it no somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up, right? But it was, I, I mean, it was something, well, what was it using? Dang, now I, like, like I'm calling back to it and it wasn't a command line one. He had actually written code that was, um, that was pulling from that was asking uh, chat GPT, you know, or the LLMs to actually generate the fuzz case. And then if it ran successfully, then he would, you know, and so it was like iteratively oh, stepping through gotcha. that process. It, right. It was kind of the, the payload generation was more yeah. driven. Got it. Got yep, it. Yep. Yep. That's, that's more what it was, um, which is interesting. Right. But to your point, right. Like having copilot or whatever, write those is a lot, it's an easier task, but it's super time intensive from a, a consulting perspective to have to put somebody on that and pay them to actually do that sort of work. So, yeah. Um, well, uh, cool. So from there, right. Like also the fortify, like obviously Ken and I have our, you know, love hate relationship with SAS tools. <laughs> I'm not sure what your feeling there is on those um, having worked on that. Right. Like, so what was it that you did with fortify? Sure. Um, so I was director of consulting, I believe was my position there. And okay. I was in charge of the pre and post sales consultants on the East coast in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. so basically I would, they would parachute me in if there was like a tough, uh, customer they were trying to close a deal with, or if there was a key customer that was having problems with the product, they would yeah. parachute me in and I would solve all of the, all of their problems. Um, so you know, they send me down to Bank of America for two or three days. Bank of America is like, we don't like this product. Too many false positives. We don't like it. Um, I drop in. I'm like, here's a bunch of advanced ways of using it. And let me tie it right into your workflow. Bam. Every All the false positives go away. Everything's nice and smooth. And now you're a happy customer. So I did yeah. a lot of that um, pre and okay. post sales. Um, <laughs> and, and that ties into one of my biggest gripes with all of the commercial SaaS offerings, which is, they, uh, and this was something that I, I, just to set the context, I loved working at Fortify Software. There's so many smart people there in the early years. 
Um, the technology had so much potential. It was really, really cool to see them care about the customers uh, and the overall improvement over time to, to watch like the 2D data flow tracing happen and all that. It's beautiful. Um, but the thing that bugs me about all SaaS software is this notion of we want to show as many uh, results as possible on first scan. Um, that drives developers insane. And I think the user experience around better first scan experience at every SaaS company is abysmal. And I just don't know why that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, it, it definitely taints the developer's view of the tools, right? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I still also struggle how, with it. How much is it made for developers too? That's another question. Like if I'm yeah. a developer, how, how, how usable is that immediate feedback you're giving me? That's always, I'm trying right. to inject my own opinions here, but yes, that's also <laughs> something that bothers me. Uh, absolutely. Like how, how tightly integrated is it into your workflow, right? Is it just good? You have to run a whole separate set of tools or I have to use a UI that's separate from my usual UIs. Um, or is it tightly integrated into my CICD, tightly integrated into my IDE workflow that that's, these are all important questions. And, um, I, yeah, I, I haven't used Fortify recently, uh, but in the past, historically, um, there was like a separate UI, but then there were also IDE plugins and there mm -hmm. were separate build tools that you could drop into your CI/CD and, and all of that. Um, and same thing with uh, most of the other large SaaS companies. They, they try and, and do that to some degree um, such that it, it ends up being like a bunch of compiler errors and warnings uh, kind of reaches you in that workflow. I suspect that's probably true for a lot of us where we like haven't used these tools in a long time. We, our experiences are based off of some of the, um, some of the last times we used it, which might be a little bit older, but, um, that's, I think that's an interesting data point too, is that if you, uh, if, if it's hard to get people to come back is what I'm trying to say. If you, if you didn't get, leave them with a positive experience at first, it's, it's hard to get them to come back and, and want to use your tool again. But I think what's sure. interesting with Fortify and a bunch of the other ones is that they kind of had to adapt to that CI CD kind of flow, that DevOps flow overnight. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess I don't really know now, like I know what they did initially to like, you know, have some plugins for back then it was Jenkins and now I'm sure it's a lot more from sure actions and things like that that are more relevant. But have you, have you all had any experience with like these tools in the, um, in those more modern flows say, um, and is it any better? Cause like I said, I mean, I think the initial stuff was so rudimentary and like, it wasn't really moving the needle. It was just, here's your scanner, but like in the CICD flow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, these days, I, and I'll be honest, I haven't done kind of like implementing a, a SAS tool in, in a while, uh, myself personally. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, uh, Primarily on this on the SaaS side of things, we primarily use uh, SEMgrep for our workflow mm -hmm. on the offensive consulting that we primarily do, um, and we really like that. We we know it's not like because we are more on the offensive consulting standpoint and not the I'm an integrated developer looking for tooling that matches my my whole workflow. Um, it doesn't matter to us as much uh, these important things that are key for a developer that has to use it in their workflow every day and be productive. Um, so yeah, so we use a lot of SEMgrep, love SEMgrep, uh, shout out to Isaac and Clint and all them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have not implemented it at, at in a workflow that requires all of that integration that you were talking about, like the, the advanced CICD stuff. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there because like the last time that I really did that was early 2010s, right? Like, um, you know, implemented across the board IDE Software Security Center, like with from a Fortify specific perspective, um, and like making it work for a large group is difficult. But yeah, and a lot of these big companies, uh, or sorry, a lot of these big SaaS vendors, once they sell, so like Fortify sold to Hewlett Packard, and then there were a bunch of different divestitures and, and such. Uh, and I, I don't even know what company it is now, but um, all of these big companies, uh, AppScan Source and, and all of these things, they get bought by larger conglomerates and then the, the pace of innovation just slows to a crawl. 
Um, yep. it, it goes from full steam to like we're we're turtle crawl going forward on innovation. So a lot of these cutting edge CI/CD things that the startups and and the cutting edge uh, companies need uh, are slow to come by. I I'd be surprised if they have support for even the top four CI/CD inter, you know tools. Um, and, and that's just a reality of of small company or medium-sized company getting bought by a mega company that just wants to turn it into a revenue machine and less of an innovation machine that got them the reputation that they first had. But we, we all know that that story. Yeah. 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 That's something that we've dealt with for sure. Right. So, I, I mean, but on the flip side of that, right, like from a, well, okay. So to kind of leave the defensive side and move more into the offensive side, right. Um, I know a lot of people are interested in that space, um, you know, especially when it comes to application security and what it is like tooling, like you mentioned, SEMGREP, um, right? Like what are the other, what are the other aspects of offensive security, like other tools or anything else that you could recommend if someone was looking to get into that space, how would you encourage them to do that? Sure. So, you know, include security, we primarily hack applications. That's <clears throat> that's the grand majority of the work that we do. Um, we do a little bit left and right of that concept, like hacking, CICD, uh, cloud native and cloud environments, uh, those types of things. Um, and then the whole world that encompasses offensive application assurance activities, right? So we spoke about static analysis. We spoke about fuzzing. Those would fall into those categories. So it's a whole assurance, in, from my perspective, assurance in software is a spectrum. And there's, uh, and a lot of people want to think of it as a linear maturity model. And just like, oh, if you do this, you're at level one. If you do that, you're level two. And, and it's just like a perfectly linear model. And like OpenSAM and, and BSIM try and do some of this. Um, but it's not a linear model. It's, it's a bunch of different disparate activities that in in totality equal improved assurance. So I think some some sort of system that says, hey, if you're doing a manual code review, uh, it's considered you know this much effective in your total assurance. Um, but then what kind of manual code review? Is it a junior person that's you know from one of our competitors that has a bunch of junior people? Or is it like one of our senior people that's done, been doing this stuff for 20 years and have seen thousands of applications and have looked at tens of millions of lines of code. So those are two totally different levels. And a lot of these maturity models just say, has source been reviewed? Like checkbox, yeah. yes or no, right? Yeah. So they're, they're just too naive in their thinking. And um, yeah, so it's for me, it's a gradient. Like, do you use SAST? Sure. How do you use it? Do you use it out of the box or do you customize it? Do you know what you're doing? Um, what do you do with the results? Do you triage them? Um, if you do triage them, who's triaging them? Is it someone skilled, someone not skilled? Right? All these questions equal how much assurance you get from SAST. Um, same concept on fuzzing, same concept on code review, same con concepts on manual, uh, uh, manual, uh, manual dynamic HTTP testing if it's a web app. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, there's, there's levels to it. And Overall, holistically, there's levels to it. And within each level, there's levels to it. Um, so you can come to somebody uh, and see like, hey, you know, they're, they're a, a junior consulting shop and they say they do a great pen test. Um, but really, they, they had a person that's not very experienced take a quick look at the source code in a time box manner. And that is somehow being held in the same level of like regard as an expert team. Um, taking a look at the source code, writing some static analysis, custom rules, and you know, the outputs are completely different. And currently our industry is super immature and we have no way of truthfully disambiguating the two. Um, most contractual obligations, compliance requirements, uh, fe federal regulations just have large, bold statements like have a pen test. Yeah. And uh, you, I can give you a pen test for two grand that is completely useless. And um, unfortunately, in 2023, that is becoming the norm with the SMB space. So the, the startups in the SMB space, they don't care. And this is a bold statement, but it, this is what I'm seeing. They just don't care. Um, the level of apathy that I've seen towards AppSec in small business in 2023 is the highest I've ever seen in my life. It, they're just like, listen. 
I know we could get an expert pen test from your team for 10 grand and uh, our app's really small, but I'm going to go take this $2,000 pen test by a couple teenagers through like this bug bounty platform that says that they're a pen testing platform, but they're really not. Um, and I get it from the macroeconomics of it, like, or just not macroeconomics, but just the economics investment uh, motivation, right? Why yeah. would I want to do this? What is it actually getting me? Um, do they really altruistically care about assurance and improving their software security? Or are they just simply trying to get through the procurement process of their next customer? And, you know, the SMB space, it's a lot of that question um, in the, in the larger companies, the enterprise, it's a whole different level. Uh, you know, they're, they're beholden to uh, possibly major federal regulator problems, uh, class action lawsuit problems, and they have a whole different story in space, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'll stop there. I'm, I'm no, no, I'd say I actually agree. And I'd say like, it's interesting too, because the ones that care the most about security are buying the products where I think it's harder, hardest to innovate. That's coming from a startup perspective where we can fluidly change directions and, you know, features and, um, you know, adapt to wherever, whatever people need, right. As like a, like if a small business came in, right. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it is interesting that the people that do like actually have to care are the ones who are buying. Anyways, I just think that's really interesting. Cause like you can't adapt well if you are no offense to fortify, but if you're a fortify or a check marks or a, big vendor it's not like you can just overnight like innovate <laughs> magic right it's not how it works you're a big ship many anyways i don't know where i'm going with that but that just feels really interesting as a data point what you said yeah well i i mean it feels like you're kind of we're, we're kind of screwed at both ends right for lack of a yeah. better term right like so you've got the large organizations that you know they have compliance but they also have the money to spend they want to secure things they're pulling in tools that have been used for years and years because um, they've always been around, right? Like it's almost like they're the entrenched whatever in that in that space, um, but it may not necessarily get them what they want or what they're expecting. And then what Eric's is saying on the flip side is we've got SMBs and like people that are innovating and creating tech products, but all they're worried about is getting into some of those larger companies. And so like, we're we're not lining up. And I mean, this goes back, honestly, talk that I gave years ago talking about even just like standardizing names for things and what that actually represents, right? Like one person's, you know, web app penetration test is like, I'm running a, you know, burp scan and then like checking the results, right? And another's is I'm actually going in and I'm fuzzing like all of the different parameters in this and I'm checking it against multiple lists. Like the, like the level of experience of the person doing the pen test goes into it. And that's why we see such a, a wide range of um, costs associated with it. Everything from a couple grand to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because of the, the expertise and the experience of the, whoever it is that is conducting that test. Um, I do find, I mean, you know, Eric, I'd have to agree with you as far as like the, the apathy out there in the, the small business space and trying to push the, push the products along. Um, I like, I go back just recently, right? Like dealing with a very specific vendor, like we found a bunch of stuff and they actually came back to us and had us retest with less experienced people because they wanted a different result that they could show to customers basically oh, yeah. what it boiled down to. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm like, okay, so the security and the security guy apologized to us at the same time. He's like, you guys did awesome. <laughs> I love this, right? Like we're fixing all this stuff, but can you come back in and just do like a week, like short term thing so we can get this executive summary that we can pass off to the it's sales a big, people. Right? It's a big yeah. problem. Uh, and your experience, Seth, in that story, uh, I've faced many times in many different ways. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cl- the clients just, they, they, sometimes, you know, they, they can't directly ask for it, but they're just like, oh yeah, I know you scoped this out as a six week project, but can you just time box it to one week? And I'm like, oh yeah, you got budget constraints. No, we don't really have budget constraints, uh, but just time box it to one week. And yeah, 
you you know what's going on here. They want the clean report that they share with their customers. Um, and this is like a major industry problem. Like anyone in product security needs to know that this stuff regularly happens. Like you're, you're, uh, it's just a thing. And I think the only way that this is going to go away is, uh, like having standard requirements, like, Hey, this is what a, a well-scoped pen test looks like. This is what a pen test looks like to your point of the definitions of our industry and the taxonomy of our industry are just abysmal. Um, and unfortunately, I have to say some some of the the industry uh, organizations that we all know and love, like OWASP, are partially responsible for this. Uh, if you ever analyze OWASP projects from project to project, they'll change terms. Um, yeah. So even within OWASP projects, they'll change terms. Even uh, if you look at first version of OWASP to the current version of OWASP, they never define any terms. So they actually sometimes subtly change the meaning of certain things in the OWASP top 10 from one version to the next without even addressing that that has changed in meaning. Um, mm -hmm. So we have no standard for definitions of what is what in our industry. Um, and because we don't even have that, we can't even reference things in contractual obligations and compliance and, re and regulations. Um, so it's just like, I think the term turtles all the way down. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a, a bunch of things layered on top of each other that equals um, a mess. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I can say when Seth and I, were, and I were working at the last consultancy, we, we were like, literally it became like a question of like, what is a pen test? Because everybody seems to have a different opinion of what a pen test is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is it, we is really it couldn't get anyone box? to lock down. Is, is it a white box? Is it a crystal box? Is it black box? Um, I heard somebody say no box. I, I heard a no box pen test. No box? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it time box? What is time box? Is every assessment time box? Like these things have no common meaning at all in, in assessment consulting and every company uses it different. Um, you, yeah. And I could rant for hours on that topic, but yeah, I, I was just posting on LinkedIn yesterday. Uh, there was a British consultant, uh, that said like, um, I, you know, what is, how, how could it be possible that a vulnerability scan and a Nessus report is is touted as a pen test. And I'm like, hey, hey, bro, it's our fault. We did this. We didn't define anything. We didn't define for the industry what any of these things are and what a proper definition is. And hence the compliance and regulator people who don't know anything, they have nothing to stand on. They have uh, the only thing that they can reference is pen test execution standard, uh, which is horrible it's over nine years old hasn't been changed in nine years and even the first version of it was incomplete and unusable and that's the only thing that really exists out there maybe you can reference OWASP top 10 um but then people are not using that right and uh, the consultancies haven't done anything the enterprise security teams even the fangs all the big ones nobody's tried to do anything i i saw last year or earlier this year i think it was last year Microsoft and Google pledged spending like $20 billion investing into security uh, over the next five years. And I'm just like, hey, you know, take a million of that and standardize this entire industry. Like that's yeah. all it would take. <laughs> well, it, I, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I definitely agree, right? Like I go back to, there's been attempts, right? Um, uh, things like, you know, ASVS, the, the pen testing, at, you know, execution standard. Um, but then I also look at compliance is not asking for it, right? Like you look at, you know, uh, like from a business perspective, like the auditors, we haven't taught them what they need to actually ask for what ended up in PCI, OWASP yeah. top 10, just OWASP top 10. And I didn't even really reference it, like took the current version and then they're like, well, maybe, and I, yeah, like DSS yeah. did a better job of some of that of like, hey, you have to actually dig in and do these things, but it was only for things accepting cards. It wasn't so there's there's all of this just like it's confusion, right? Like I and and I don't know where like where it actually gets solved without Fang or without somebody coming in and just putting the hammer down or even you know government actually requiring some of that. Um because obviously like everyone's kind of got their niche of what they want to represent or where they get paid because they can do X, Y, and Z. Right. 
Um, this would be the so, perfect project yeah. for, um, there's a, a U.S. governmental organization called CISA, CISA. Um, mm -hmm. This would be the perfect project for them. Um, CISA could solve this in 12 months, uh, and, but they have to do it in the right way. Uh, so they have to go to the, the corporate enterprise, they have to go to the consultancies, um, and then they, the hard part is by doing design by committee across and making it too inclusive, right? Like, oh, well, you know, we want to include the people that don't know what they're doing on this. And, and like, everyone needs to, to have a voice in this. OWASP ends up like that. You, you see yeah. people in OWASP, like, you're just like, that recommendation that you just made for the OWASP top 10 is horrible. Like, why are we even considering this? Um, this, this person has not done this, this thing for too long. They, they, they haven't really holistically considered the ramifications of the things that they're recommending. So I, I would say like on the corporate side, on the consulting side, grab like top 25% organizations, make like a think tank, if you will, and just get it out there. CISA has got to be careful that it doesn't end up uh, like in the OWASP chat on Slack this week. Uh, somebody dropped a link to um, a, a new set of dynamic scanning scripts uh, for Zap. And they're like, great, this is uh, it's put out by CISA and it was made by a bunch of like Yale grad students. And I looked at the code and I was just like, this is horrible. This is false positive city. Like nobody should ever use these scripts or these checks um at all in any capacity and you know they they gotta like put up the good stuff there well That's yeah I, I i mean it always comes back to who are the resources that are actually doing it. i mean it's the same thing as conducting the pen test right like who are the experienced people that are in the room that are having that discussion like anytime mist comes up with standards right the 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 vetting that goes into even just people being on that um, on those committees to, to recommend things. Um, I, yeah. Like without the experience, we're just never going to get there. That, and that, that goes to your point about what, you know, the different scripts that you're seeing from OWASP there for zap. But I, yeah, I, I just don't know if there is a, an industry push to do that. Right. Even if CISA, you know, was, was to come around and do it. I know we see the confusion because we're dealing with companies on a daily basis but who else is pushing for this, right? Um, There's no incentive to push. I mean, think about this. Like if if I can make up a term, if I can use a term and that term's fluid and I can just make up whatever I'm going to, whatever service or whatever product I'm going to offer that that meets that fluid term, which nobody can really define and, and say what, what, what it is I'm supposed to be accomplishing at the end other than like if it's services and exact summary, that's something everybody kind of agrees upon. But beyond that, how you actually do the test with the with the values, yeah. I mean, that's how you yeah. scope it. All that stuff is like you can do. I guess what I'm saying is from a vendor perspective, which is where when money is involved, it comes down to vendors, and when it comes down to vendors, they have no incentive whatsoever to. And yeah. and what's the end result of all this, right? Like we have all of these uh, companies out there playing fast and loose with like what assurance activities they're doing to meet obligations, and you know they're they're hiring the junior company, um, they're they're doing the, the sketchier activities, the the useless activities. Um, a little bit of the blame does fall on the fangs uh, and the and the larger the larger uh, the Fortune five hundreds and the fangs because these are the folks that set the standard for the industry, right? Um, if Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, Adobe got together and said, hey, you have to do at, these, at least this level of uh, assurance uh, or we're just not gonna buy your products, um, then it would change everything. And they do that a little bit onto some of these third-party programs that they have. Like if you're in, uh, if you wanna make a, an OAuth uh, scoped application for Google, you have to get a pen test but even that is just, it's rudimentary and, and the people are gaming it and, and they hired a bunch of companies uh, that, that just don't do a good job of it. Um, so yeah, and, and I, I see why, why they do that. And they're like, oh, in the name, everything in the name of scale, like mm -hmm. why lower the entire industry? Why not bring the entire assessment and assurance industry higher? Why not just yeah. say, this is the standard. Everyone's got to learn it. Everyone's got to get good, train your people and do well. Um, as opposed to every pen test company's got a, uh, a kid two, two months out of college um, is just like they're charging 350 an hour for that person. And you're like, how? 
right? How, how is this worth that? Because uh, this person just learned how to hack web apps. They're just doing the most basic stuff. Um, and yeah. I've never seen anybody take a consultant who was an intern and turn them into a principal consultant in what was it? Six to eight months, Seth? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Never seen it. Uh, never seen that happen. Yeah. Dirty, nefarious <laughs> consultancy owner do that before. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> Um, Anyways, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a real problem. I do like yeah. that comment about insurers. I want you guys yep. to both know I don't know shit about cyber insurance. So I, I like that thought by Scott. I just don't know anything about cyber insurance whatsoever. Just to say to comment on whether or not that would actually. Uh, oh, yeah, change that, things. that's a great that's a great angle. Right. Um, so Aon and all the top cyber insurance companies, they have a lot of say into this world. Um, yes. If, if Aon said, listen, Here's here's the standard for application security, and and you have to meet it. Um, that would change the industry as well. Um, so there, there's a lot of different parties like CISA on the government side, like the Fangs, the Fortune 500s, um, OWASP, uh, the insurers. Any of these parties can take a step forward and say, "Hey, let's make things better." Uh, but none are, um, and the the steps that they're taking are incremental at best, um, useless at worst. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not going to move the needle. And I fully expect there to be some of that that comes along, right? Um, you know, when I when I think about the cyber insurance industry, right? Like it's been, I'm sure it's been a cash cow for those large cyber, like the insurance companies, because how often have they had to pay out on those, right? Like, is there is there an incentive for them to actually push any standards there? Because, you know, if a company is not doing like the regular housekeeping, they don't have to pay that out. They're just collecting mm -hmm. the premiums, right? And so like it, at some level, it always comes back to cost, right? Like it comes back to a financial burden on someone for us to create those sorts of standards. And I just don't think we've, we've met that threshold yet. Um, that being said, something like um, it, just the MGM stuff that went on recently, right? Um, I've heard that, you know, they came out in their report on that, like the CEO or whatever basically said, well, we're going to be okay because cyber insurance is covering this, right? <laughs> that is going to be, and honestly, like we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that's going to get paid out there. That will change the needle right? or that's going to move the needle, I yeah. should say, right? Um, on, okay, that, in, that insurance company is now going to make sure, like start writing that stuff into contracts on what actually needs to happen from, from a, like, and, and I don't know if that was necessarily application security related. That was something else that happened, you know, for that ransomware attack to occur, but okay. That's going to start changing the industry um, because there's a financial reward and a financial penalty there. So the trend we're seeing in the ransomware space and, and the, kind of like offensive uh, crimeware crews is uh, five years ago, phishing was still the number one way that they were getting in. Uh, mm -hmm. But this year, um, now they're going back to the old school, like what external vulnerabilities do you have? So let me compromise some server assets uh, that you have, um, some hosted assets that you have, and let me leverage that to, to eventually get into to all of the things that I care about. Um, so they're going back to the old techniques of just remote compromise through application level vulnerabilities. Um, so commercial off the shelf software, free and open source software, um, you're hosting it, it's tied to your company, they're popping it. And that's the, that's the current way that they're doing it. Exception would be the, the MGM case. I believe that was social engineering, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, the trend has has changed to, to now it's going back to the application level stuff. And now that goes all back to the, the commercial vendors, right? Like when you have your solar winds type of folks or uh, just recently I, I saw a lovely throwback. Uh, I think it was WSFTP. I remember writing exploits for that 20, yes. 20 years ago. So, you know, what are these folks doing for assurance activities? Uh, like, was SolarWinds doing anything? Was WSFTP doing anything? If they were, what was it? Was it uh, just a standard checkbox? Like, how much did they do uh, to have a secure SDLC and an, a secure output of product? Uh, and the answer is probably going to be not much. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think 
we're going through something that like kind of the auto industry went through, which was like, oh, hey, all of the glass that we use on our on our cars, um, the number one cause of injury from car accidents is you being impaled by the glass, not the, <laughs> you hitting another car, but it's you being killed by the glass of your car. Uh, and then, you know, whistleblowers and overtime safety and government regulations. And now we have safety glass in every single car in the world. Um, so it's gonna, and I heard a rumor, I was, I was chatting with, uh, with some DC, uh, policy folks. I heard a rumor that, um, within the next 12 months that there's going to be an executive order, um, uh, related to software security coming down from the president of the United States. Mm. So if we don't regulate ourselves, if we don't stand up and stop letting all these consumers get hacked, then people start doing it and forcing our hand. Yeah. Which, well, and I, yeah, I mean, at some level, that's what what needs to occur, whether it needs to come from government or, you know, financial insurance. I mean, there's quite a bit in the chat, well, going, you know, talking. We know about who's not a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm going to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, if we if you can't solve it on your own, right, like, you know, yeah, I want to show you this real quick. I don't see anywhere in this big apology where they tell me they lost my personal info about insurance. It's weird. They didn't say, hey, we solved all this through, <laughs> through insurance. They said, we're going to do stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Security is very important. Security is very important to us. There. Yeah. But, you, you know, Caesars had that also happen to them. And they are, uh, between MGM and Caesars, they own like 85% of the properties on the Vegas Strip. Yep. And... They're the same company now. They 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 merged. Uh, I think in April. Um, so I'll see you off strip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, dude. Like that was. <laughs> yeah, have, have fun at the Motel Six. Response. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, know what I expect from like a business built off of like uh, what casinos are built off of, though. Like, should we really expect anything? You think they would get risk? More? You think they would get yeah. a probability yeah, right. risk? <laughs> They need to you kick that back to the mathematicians, right? Like the guys that are programming the, yeah. Yeah. I, man, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem to be in the middle of, right? Like, cause I feel pulled in both directions as far as like, we need those standards, but it's also right. Like how much, how much regulation do we really want to see? Um, but then, you know, it's also from a consulting perspective, Eric, like on our side, you know, oh, walking sure. into some of these places and I'm like, really, this is, this is the competition that beat us out, right. For years, because, uh, you know, all because they have an intern in the back that's, you know, running some scripts and right. Generating a report. And that's all the company wanted. Um, yeah, so I, it, like, yeah. I, I I want not to be that person that names competitors out, but I'll I'll, I'll describe the scenario. I know one company that uh, does offensive assessment consulting that they they got their entire start by only using interns. Like their entire mm -hmm. first company start was interns only, and then they eventually hired a full time person that was decent. Um, but like that's it. Their whole beginning of their company, and to this degree still is just that junior talent. Now I'm, I'm biased here because I, I really appreciate the work that offensive security consultants do to provide assurance. Uh, and our clients, uh, you know, people, people kind of know, um, if you use include security, you hear about security. Like we're one of a handful of expert teams in the U S. Um, and I, I didn't mention that earlier, but include security kind of is an all expert team. So the, the usual pyramid model of like, you know, all the big consulting companies and the medium-sized ones, 60% juniors, 20% seniors, 20% expert is roughly the ratio that they, they target. Um, we just got rid of the 60%. We just have seniors and experts. That's it. Um, so I'm biased because I created this company because I was like, uh, people will care about security. They, they will love yeah. to do work with like this level of talent. And I'm going to make it really valuable by not charging, um, tons and tons for this. I'm going to have senior talent, not charge a ton for it. And it's going to be the perfect value proposition, right? Um, to get businessy speak. But, uh, but then you go out there and you bring it to market and uh, you know, yeah, we've got over 325 clients, but I'm just like, why don't we have 10,000? And, mm -hmm. and it's because 
people just don't care as much as you hoped that they would care. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's the stuff, again, it goes back to the SMB, right? Like the small business, a lot of the products and, you know, things that we use on a day-to-day basis, they probably don't care as much about security as they do that bottom line. Um, and, you know, being able to sell to whatever next client is there. Um, and, you know, and then the tech that they're using a lot of times is a decade out of date, right? Mm. Um, if not longer. And then yeah. I saw another trend that was uh, that I found interesting, which was uh, the return to black box. So in the last couple of years, clients have been like, well, why can't you just black box test it? I know you always do a source assisted test and you find lots of vulnerabilities, but why can't you black box Texas test this? And it goes to that, that concept we mentioned earlier on this uh, podcast, which was um, you want that clean report. You want actually less findings. Um, but another thing that I think people are thinking of is, well, why don't you just do the equivalent of a bug bug bounty? We have a bug bounty and they don't have source code. So you should just do what they do. And we're like, Mm -hmm. bug bounty is a different beast. It's another another defense in depth level of assurance. Uh, You have a lot of people that are usually really good at one thing. Like all I do is find SSRF. All I do is find auth C bugs. um, And then you, you have a bunch of them try and find their one thing that they do versus assessment consulting, which is, I've got this small level of time and I need to find as many vulnerabilities as possible utilizing every tool at my disposal. Um, so it is really a, a fundamentally different problem. And the reason why we don't do things the way that the bug bounty folks do is because we want to, we only have a short period of time and we want to use all the technology and capabilities that we have to find as many vulnerabilities as fast as possible. And that's, I think, how the entire industry should operate. You know, Find as many vulns as fast as possible provide as much assurance as much as possible. Um, but we just don't have that currently across the industry. Yeah. But I, I mean, again, like to, you know, to circle back around, right. Like that comes down to this, like, what are the definitions of a pen test of a black box yeah. assessment of a, right. Like, you know, every consultancy use is a slightly different. And I know I'm guilty of this too. Right. Like, cause I'm trying to like, okay, explain, but to Ken's point as well, right? Like whenever we get on with a client, that's one of the first things I ask is like, what are you expecting? Because mm-hmm. your understanding of what a penetration test is, of what a code review is, could be different than what we've been talking about for the last 10 years or, you know, in the last hour. And, I, you know, if I don't understand that, like I can set, you know, and you can, Eric, like we can sell to what level you can support, um, but if you're not getting what you expect out of that, then you're not going to come back, right? So at some point, you have to play business owner as well to to actually keep things moving along. I have two side stories on that. One, uh, or quips, I should say. I have one client that uh, they're a very large network appliance vendor, and they will not stop call that they they will not stop calling what we do scans. Like they they're just like, oh, when are you going to do the scan? I'm like, oh, you mean the thing where we manually penetration test your network appliance and then review all of the source code? That thing? Yeah, we're going to do that this quarter, right, for you. Um, but they just won't stop calling it a scan. Like they just don't have this concept. Uh, they're just like, yeah, everything we do with security is a scan. Um, and then I had another client. Um, oh, we're this is a newer client and. You know, we were having that conversation of, yeah, the source assisted is going to get you the most findings. It's most comprehensive. It's it's most efficient. And they're like, okay, well, we'll give you the source, but don't do a code review. I'm like, <laughs> well, what, what, what do you mean there? And they're like, well, we want you to use the source and be more efficient and do all the things that you just said, but we don't want you to review the source. And like, okay, what? Like, break that down. And like, well, we don't want you to like open the source and look at it top to bottom. And they, we just want you to use it in, in helping you find the vulnerabilities faster. I'm like, okay, sure. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Again, understanding, right? Like, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. And it's because well, I, I have yeah. nowhere to point them. Like, okay, let's get on the same level here. Let's be on the same, the page, same page and go to like appsectaxonomy.com. Read that. We're on the same page. Uh, you know, Seth's company, my company, all of our competitors, we're all on the same page. We all page. use the same thing. Yep. Yep. And this is what it equates to. This is the level of effort. This is the standard like list of vulnerabilities or the ASVS, that we, whatever it is that we use, the verification standard, right? Like there, there, there's got to be some level. And I mean, 
you know, and I, and I think it will come, but I, I just don't think it'll come fast enough for us. Right. It's, you know, it, and it never is. I mean, that's the, that's the way that Man. it goes. 20 billion invested in security over the next five years. Just give me like a half a percent of that. And I <laughs> yeah. could, uh, the three of us, we could change the whole, we could change thing, it. Right? We could yeah, change it. Exactly. All. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I, I mean, you know, that sounds like what, you know, there should be taxonomy at uh, absoluteapsec.com or like in the, or, yeah, whatever. Right? <laughs> One more, right? What is the XKCD, right? Like create yet another standard that yeah, everyone's got a standard. standard. That's, yep. the great, that's the great thing about standards. Everyone has one. Everyone has one. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. Well, Eric, we have been talking for an hour. It's gone by very quickly from my perspective, um, you know, but uh, we really appreciate the time. I appreciate the conversation. We're, we're going to have to do this again, um, especially as some of this stuff starts to evolve. It'd be really interesting to see what, what else CISA comes out with, what else like, you know, we see in the industry. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch or if something else pops up, you know, let us know. Um, for sure. And, um, and, you know, if anyone needs me, I'm available for AppSec rants, uh, for birthday parties, retirement parties, whatever you need me yeah. for. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. You're friendly, friendly AppSec curmudgeon. I don't know. Like, what, how do you want to, how do you want to be represented? I'll take right? that. I'll take You'll that. Take <laughs> but really, like, we're, we're, we all really want the industry to be better, right? We all want yeah. safe, more secure and safer software. And, like, my frustration and anything that I've said in the last hour is, is just because we're not getting there as fast as I would like. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And I think that's what we'd all like to see. Like we'd like to see the needle moved along. So we're not fighting the same battles that we were 10 to 15 years ago. Right. Um, yeah. So at, at some point it will happen, but you know, I'm trying to be a, like glass half, half full a little bit. Right. Like there, there are good things that are happening in different places. It's just that the overarching, um, speed or like yeah it's yeah it's just a little too slow for my taste but yep yeah like i will say when when i when i'm able to i'd love to you know there's so much of what you guys are discussing that i just really have to keep my mouth shut on for some things which i don't love but you know it's that's the way it is right now yeah but i'd love to revisit oh, this conversation me. Yeah, you, you if, know, I, yeah. if i ever uh was not working at include security and, and running the company um I would just start a appsecrants.com blog and just go off and, and just hold the industry to task, hold individuals to task. Uh, there's so much stuff that we could be doing better uh, as our industry. But so hey, we need to get you, um, Eric, bought out so that you can be free. <laughs> yeah, be exactly. Out, say what you want. No, no, I think the, the, the reality is that um, I would like to share with people what the journey is like to try and innovate in this space from a product perspective, because a lot of things you guys touch on is like from everything from like terms to how you represent to people understanding what you're trying to like send out there to like some of the, the data points we've used SAS as a good example, not being quite what we need and not being comprehensive enough to really contextualize things and all this stuff that, that's going on. I can't really speak to, to all of it, but when I can, I'd love to share like why there are some of those, um, like what I experienced anyways, in those areas. So we should do a follow-up. That's my way of saying we should do a follow-up, but I'd love to do that follow-up too um, about this specific conversation, you know, once, once we're, once we're at that point. Sure. Cool. And if, uh, if anybody sees me in the absolute AppSec chat, uh, DM me, happy to talk further or, or in the public chat. And, um, and yeah, if there's any aspects of this conversation that we should do in a whole episode on uh, happy to talk uh, later this year or next year or whenever. Sweet. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it in mind and we'll, we'll get you on the list there, Eric, for, you know, coming back on. Um, we'll talk with Aaron and, and make sure that happens. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be waiting for your like rainforest puppy style rant and mic drop as you walk out of the industry, but you know, like, <laughs> not, we'll see. Not let, let, me, let, let me know when you get there. So, you know, we can have the you know, front row seat. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I, I think that's everything for today. Thanks again for the conversation, Eric. Um, any other places that uh, people could find you at? Like any, you going to any conferences or anything like that? Um, so I, I definitely do Black Hat DEF CON every year. Um, all the New York, I'm in, here in New York City. So all the local New York City conferences, besides NYC, HushCon NYC and SummerCon, I'll, I, I go to all three of those every year. And then occasionally I'm at some private conferences like the Qualcomm Private Security Summit and Blue Hat and things like that. 
Um, okay. that's, that's kind of my comfort circuit. And then online, I personally don't really have an online presence, but the company is just, uh, include security and we're at include security on most platforms, uh, yep. at Twitter, Reddit, whatever. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks again. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's it for today. Ken, any final thoughts before we close it out? I'll just thank you again, Eric, uh, you know, apologies for the time it's taken to get this all set up. We just, oh, yeah, no we, we were, went through a long period where we actually didn't schedule anyone, but, uh, in any case, uh, thank you so much. Really do appreciate your time and, and value your opinions and your experiences as well. So thank you. And, and then, and also the same for everybody else on listening. Thank you for, for participating and chiming in or yep. tuning in, tuning in. Yes. Yes. And join us on Slack. If you're not already there, um, you can ask Eric or us, either of us questions and, Otherwise, we'll see everyone online. We'll see you all in a week or so. Take care, folks.